And this morning, uh, Laura and Dr. Patrick are um, celebrating Max's wedding, which was yesterday. And so we have a, a guest this morning. Please help me welcome to the stage our very own Reverend Connie Nissen. those little messages that get passed back and forth in those moments. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you here again today. And a uh, shout out to fathers. Happy Father's Day, uh, a day to honor that masculine presence in our life that is within all of us, whether we're men or women. And, uh, and the people who stepped up, whether they're our biologic fathers or stepfathers or teachers or coaches, uncles, grandfathers, they're the men in our life who have helped raised, raised us, provided for us, and inspired us. So, thank you. Yeah. Before I get into the prayer a little bit today, I wanted to talk about, in case you're, you're new or haven't been here too much, if you're ever wondering about why we pray the way we pray. When I speak my prayer today, I speak in the I am. And it's not because I'm only praying for myself and about myself. Those I am words are the most powerful words that, uh, that we can speak because everything that follows them just aligns and is responded to and corresponded to in, in spirit. And so when you hear those words, make them your own. Say that I am to yourself and let it be the words that, uh, that carry you forward. So, so join me in consciousness. Center yourself, be comfortable but yet open to the flow of the infinite. And know with me now, as we invite the remembrance of this presence that we call God, the universe, the infinite, life, energy, and know that all that it is, is everywhere present, all-knowing, and all-powerful. And it is the source. It is the divine spark within each and every one of us that I call forth in this moment to be revealed, expressed, and experienced in its magnificence, in its beauty, in its joy. For all that it is, I am. And I am awash this morning in the love and light of its presence. Just as the rain washes the earth, my beingness is washed with the presence of this love. And it radiates from me into every experience in my life. And I am transformed and everyone in my life is transformed. So today I choose to awaken with curiosity and inquisitiveness to the truth of who I am, to, to step out, to feel, to know, to embrace life and to move forward with it, knowing that I am supplied by that infinite source that is here for me and never against me. I let go of those ideas that there could be ever anything against me. And so I realize this day that it is in my wakeful state, in my ability and my choosing to be present with all of life's uniquenesses, challenges, just delight, 
what, whatever it is, I let it be because I know it's all God and I know that it is informing me more and more of who I am and my purpose in being here. And so as I release these words, I do so with great gratitude for the unique, unique way that Spirit has shown up this day in our volunteers, our sound technicians, our video people, our musicians, singers, songwriters, our ushers, our greeters, our practitioners and ministers. I send special blessings out to Dr. Patrick and Laura, to Max and his new wife, and all of the people in their family and friends who celebrate the newness of this day and a new marriage and a new family being formed. Hmm. I just take in the sweetness of this life knowing there is nothing to oppose it and only everything to bring more harmony and peace into this world. This is what I know, I let it be, and I claim it by saying, and so it is. Thank you. So a few weeks ago when uh, Dr. Patrick asked me to step in for him this day and and what a lovely thing to be able to do for him and allow him to be with his family and enjoy this celebration of marriage. Of course, they wanted to talk title, and I looked at the calendar, and it was like, oh, it's Father's Day that day. And immediately, as sometimes it happens, the challenges that I experienced in my life with my father came to mind. And the challenges I experienced with the father of my children came to mind. And I thought, I don't really want to talk about that. (laughs) That's my work for me to do in my prayer chair, not on the platform. But as I meditated and contemplated and sat with the idea of doing this talk, I was also reminded of some wonderful memories with my dad when I was a very little girl. I must have been like a puppy following him around at times because all these memories came back to me of how I would just follow him around and I would watch him as he's fixing things. He he loved to fix appliances. I mean, we never bought new stuff. He always fixed everything. We never had to buy new stuff. And and, uh, just the regular maintenance on everything because he was kind of a mechanic guy in the military, so he was all about, you know early maintenance and and whatnot, and just watching him fix things and do the yard work and and walk to the post office with him and to the bank and go on drives on the weekend and and out to meet family and friends. Just so many things we used to do together. And I really treasured those times then and now as as I think back on them. My father is 90, he's still with me, and he has fairly advanced Alzheimer's, and I know I've talked about that in the past in other talks. And he, he wasn't really a big talker. He was more of a, I'll show you, and, and I think he expected I would take all of this wisdom and information in by osmosis, and maybe some of it I did, and some of it, well, I've still never changed a tire on a car, so I don't know about all that watching, but, um, but it was precious time. And recently, Oprah Winfrey did a special on her life class with Ayanne Lavanzant on fatherless sons. And I watched that show, and, uh, you know, they had a whole studio full of men who were not raised by their, 
by their fathers, didn't have a father presence in their life. Uh, their fathers were alive somewhere, but they were not raising, they didn't raise them. And they gave all sort. they opened the show with all kinds of facts and figures about how half the men incarcerated in prisons didn't have a father growing up and, you know, all the addiction numbers and all that kind of thing that happened. And when I googled it, you know, really there are just as many men who didn't have a father to raise them for whatever reason, who went on and did very unspeakable things, but there were also men who went out and were successful and have brought great things into the world for all of us to benefit from. So I really think that there's something more to just whether or not we have a father present in our lives when we're growing up as to how our lives work out for us in the end. But I could identify a little bit with these men who, who had this story and, and the story that they were telling was that if my father had just been there, I think I would be and do much better and greater things now than I'm doing. Hear that? If my father had been there, I would be better now. That was the common theme I was hearing in their stories. The facts and, and things like that were different for each man, but there was this common thing that came up. And it was repeated over and over again. And Ayanla identified it as being a hole in the heart in the shape of the father. And I could, I could give some insight to that, even though I did have my father present, and I still do, and he was there to raise me. But I remember vividly, because my father was in the military, and there were long periods of time when he would be away from home. And, and that was peacetime when he was in. I can't imagine what it's like for families now. But I remember quite vividly sometimes when I would have a complete meltdown as he was walking out the door to go on another trip. I mean like full out, you know, flailing arms and legs, screaming, crying, tears, and totally inconsolable. I have no, you know, reason why I did that. I just remember the feeling that I had within me, very deep down, that knew I didn't want him to go away. So that, that connected me a little bit with what some of these men were talking about and the void and the hole that they felt by not having a father there to raise them. Of course, as I got older into my teens, my dad was out of the military and he was around like all the time. <laughs> and I was a teenager. And I, of course, was, you know, looking for my independence. And I don't know what was going on with him. He was physically there, but I really felt that he wasn't always emotionally present in those years of my life. And I don't know what was up with that, but that's kind of how I was feeling. And so sometimes it's true. Somebody can be physically present, but not really emotionally available to us. And sometimes they can be physically present and not emotionally available to us and physically acting out, which isn't a fun place to be with anyone either. And I'm sure you know what I'm speaking of. 
And so this common single story that these men were telling, I would be a better person if only my father had been there for me, was a surprisingly easy story to gather more people around, to tell that story with, to reinforce and reflect that story to them. As I was, you know, doing my work to prepare for this, I came across the Buddhist story of the four horses. And you may know this story. This story is about four horses. There's the excellent horse. There's the good horse. There's the poor horse. There's the very bad horse. Now, what's the difference? Well, the excellent horse was the horse that could run fast. It could run slow. It could go to the left. It could go to the right at the will of the driver before even seeing the shadow of the whip. It just knew what to do. It was an excellent horse. The good horse could run as, as good as the excellent horse, but it would do so just before the whip reached its skin. The poor horse could run fast, but it needed to feel the pain on its body where the whip touched its skin. And the bad horse. The bad horse was the one that would only run fast when the whip penetrated its skin to the marrow of its bones. And you can imagine how difficult it would be for that horse to learn how to run fast. Of course, we would maybe like to be the excellent horse, or at least the good horse. But there's a paradox in this story, and that's what I'm going to speak about today. And that paradox is that maybe it is that worst horse that is the most valuable. You see, Coleman Barks, who translated all of Rumi's poems, tells of Rumi's work that he saw the bread of every experience offering nourishment. And Joseph Campbell, the great mythology guy, said, where you stumble, there lies your treasure. The fatherless son's telling that single story of who would I be if my dad had been there for me. Maybe they are feeling like the worst horse because they have this empty place in the shape of their heart, in the shape of their father in their heart. Maybe they are feeling a deep, relentless pain to the marrow of their being when they, when they think of that. And it is these feelings that create our experience. And that's what Ernest Holmes taught us, that the feelings have thoughts attached to them, beliefs, and we embrace those beliefs consciously or subconsciously. And those thoughts and beliefs, those are things they have creative energy attached to them. When we plant our thoughts in, this, in, the, in the creative medium of our soul, they create and bring that experience back to us. So our thoughts are things and our feelings are creative. But our feelings are our most genuine path to knowledge. Knowledge about ourselves Knowledge that only you can sort out for you and I can sort out for me. And when I open up to that knowledge and figure it out and figure out what is poison to me and what is medicine, 
what inspires and wakes me up, and what keeps me running in circles. Then we are informing ourselves in a conscious way such that we can tell maybe a new story and make a different choice. These feelings, these painful feelings that these men were feeling, whether they were physical or emotional, and I don't know really if spirit can tell the difference, this pain is an important feeling. And it is important that we recognize when we are feeling pain and to notice what we do with it. How do we evade it? How do we succumb to it? How do we deal with it? And how do we transcend it? For when we are asleep to our true nature and we are feeling pain, we sometimes put something up between us and that pain so that we, don't, we think we won't feel it anymore. Anybody done that before? Other than, okay, only me. Oh, one more. Thank you. We put up walls sometimes, these walls in consciousness. And that's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to mimic these walls with a box. So this first layer, this first wall, this first box represents the resentment, the bitterness, and the holding on to the grudge that we sometimes do with that story that we are believing in ourselves that is causing us pain. So just like these, these men who we label as fatherless sons who are carrying this story that I would be so much better if he had been there, are caught up in a painful story. And what happens when we're caught up in a painful story? Do we hear and see and smell and taste the sweetness in life that is surrounding us in which we are immersed? Sometimes not. Sometimes we're too wrapped up in that story. And I, th I think about my, um, my niece and her son. He's almost four and we went out for dinner last night because it was his younger brother's first birthday. And this is Corey, who's four. And he's just a delightful child. He's energetic, he's bright, he's smart. He remembers things, he catches on so fast. He's got, he doesn't walk, he runs, he climbs, he flies, for heaven's sake. He is an on-the-go little kid, but he's just a delight to be around. He just has this beautiful energy about him. But he is wearing his mother out silly. You know, she is a mother of three children between the ages of one and six. She is working, she is managing a household, she is dealing with issues in her family from other people. She is worn out. And I can identify with that. And this boy really challenges her. And sometimes she doesn't see the sweetness and the brilliance in him. And he's, he's just such a delight. But that's what happens when we get caught up in a story about things. And then sometimes, as in the case of these fatherless sons, they get so caught up in their story, they recreate it again in their own lives with their own children. So how do we get out of this box? How do we break down that wall and connect with the joy that is within us? How do we connect with the preciousness of each day? How do we develop curiosity about ourselves and passion for life 
and show an interest in life and not just our story again. Well, that's why we're here. That's why we come to a spiritual community because we engage in spiritual practices that help us learn how to deal with what shows up in our life. And so here's the meditation practice that can help us move out of this box, out of this place. And the practices that we're going to make our in-breath and our out-breath the same. We're going to do them for the same amount of time. So this is what it might look like. It might, I breathe in, count one, two, three, four, pause, one, two, breathe out. One, two, three, four, pause, one, two, and then the next breath comes in. Try it. Do it one more time together. Breathe in. One, two, three, four, pause, one, two, out. One, two, three, four, pause, one, two. So what that does is it brings us into balance with that receiving a breath and giving a breath. Receiving and giving come to be balanced out so that we begin to recognize that yes, there is pain in my life, but while there is pain in my life, there is also, there's still beauty. There is still wonder and awe out there that is mine to discover. So as we use our meditation practice to bring balance into our, into our life, into our consciousness, we create a space that we might begin to recognize that, yes, I'm feeling this way, but I know there's also another side to the coin. So that is the first practice and the first box. So lo and behold, we're out of that box. But you know what? There's another box. Oh my. Another layer. This is the layer of self-concern. Small s self, me self. Me, wanting life to go my way. And my dad did always say, my way or the highway. The man of few words did say that. And how that shows up for us is that need to manipulate, that need to control, that need to be in charge of everything. That's how our self-concern and wanting life to go my way shows up. And what happens when we are busy controlling, manipulate, planning, and micromanaging everything in life is that we're not available for life to show up as it wants to show up and be expressed. The resistance that we offer to life showing up as it wants to and not as we want to literally puts us in hell. That resistance is what creates hell in our consciousness and in our life. It's, it's not a place we go after we die. It's that space we live in when we are resisting life's energies from living through us. It's the resistance that keeps those men possibly staying stuck in the idea of what could I do and who could I be if only he had been there. And now I know I'm talking a lot about this story, and that might not be your story, but I trust you have your own story that has brought up pain in your life. 
So how do we get out of this box? How do we get out of the box and break down the wall of needing everything to go my way? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to understand that the universe goes out in every direction, left and right, above and below, in front and behind, every space in between, infinitely and eternally. So that that means that the circle that I stand in is the center of my world, of my universe. And the center of your world is right where you're standing. Because it's all infinite and eternal. And so my life experience is like the invisible circle or sphere that surrounds me in all directions, that is that part of life that I'm living and experiencing. And this is a sacred space because you are the place where God shows up. You are the one where the invisible is made visible. You are the place where transformation takes place. You are a very sacred place on this planet. And so, it is within this circle that experience flows into us and flows out. Sometimes it's stuff we want to experience, and sometimes it's all that pain and nasty stuff. But remember what Rumi said, that the bread, do I remember? I don't want to mess it up. The bread of every experience offers nourishment, and where we stumble is maybe where the treasure lies. So where we stand at the center of this sacred space with life flowing in and out to us, we get to make choices around. And when it doesn't feel so good and when it's painful and when it doesn't show up the way we think it should and we push it down or we try to push it out and we resist it, we are missing that opportunity to inform ourselves of something we need to know about. And Lord knows it's going to come back and try again and again and again. Been there, done it. <laughs> So this is where our spiritual practice needs to be precise. For as I am mindful of what's flowing in to my circle of experience, I can begin to have a conscious relationship with it. I can offer appreciation for it. That might be different. I can begin to hear and see and taste and take delight in life as it flows into my circle of experience. So now, to get out of this box, in our meditation practice, we begin where we left off, breathing in and out for the same amount of time. But this time, as we breathe in, practice with me, we're going to breathe in and see the color black. And as we breathe out, we're going to see the color white. Equal time. Breathe in black. One, two, three, four. Pause. One, two. Breathe out and see white. One, two, three, four. One, two. In black. Out white. 
You can do that. You can transform black to white. You can stand at the center of your beingness and allow experiences to come in and breathe and transform it from dark to light. But in our practice, we don't, we don't do this when we're in the throes and the chaos of the emotion and everything happening. We do this in our prayer chair and we practice, just like we practice piano. We practice so that it's easy when we need to call upon this practice. We get familiar with it. So lo and behold, we have now jumped out of box number two. <gasps> There's another box, oh my. This box represents when I'm blaming other people for what's going on with me and I'm justifying my story. And so this is our opportunity to get honest with ourselves and get honest with the story that we're telling and what we're believing and to see it for what it really is. So these men were saying, you know, what could I be? What could I be doing? You know, what would life be like for me if only my father had been there? But maybe there's another story. Maybe there's another story that in spite of who he is and what he did and the choices he made, I can still be the best person I am. This is that place where we get honest and say that that's not the only story here. Maybe it's not even a true story. I don't know what the heck was going on with that guy, but I am here and I am living now and I am a sacred being of light and love and I live in this sacred space and I too have the opportunity to make choices and they don't have to have anything to do with somebody else's choices. When I can get honest and tell my story and change it around and get real with what my new belief could be, make friends with what I used to believe, acknowledge it, don't judge it as right or wrong, I don't know the big picture, I don't know what was going on, then I can let it go and let it just be whatever it was. And I create a space within me, now that I'm not hanging on to that story and using up all my energy to keep it going, I can come back to the present moment. It takes a lot of compassion for ourselves to be able to do this. Because as soon as we let go of blaming others for what happen, what's happening in our lives, sometimes we step into blaming ourselves for having believed that story for so long and living in that misery for so long. And that's a harsh place to be. So it's really important that as we're honest with ourselves and as we make friends with our beliefs and we realize that we can let go of them, that we do this gently and kindly and compassionately and wholeheartedly with ourselves. Because it's not about breaking us down, it's really about building us up. So now our meditation practice to help us get out of this box, we're gonna go back, we're gonna breathe equal in and out, we're gonna see black when we breathe in, we're gonna see white when we breathe out. But what 
happens when we sit in meditation for longer and longer periods of time? Thoughts. We start thinking again, don't we? We create this space and it just fills up with thoughts that take us somewhere else. And so our practice now is to be compassionate enough and willing to recognize, oh, I'm thinking again. Oh, there's a thought. And so in our practice, just to, to be willing to acknowledge thinking and come back to the breath. Breathe in black, breathe out white. Thinking, being willing to let go of what we're thinking about, letting that thought go. Not judging it, not criticizing, not, not beating ourselves up that we're thinking again, but just noticing that we're thinking again and having that willingness to let it go. This is the practice we bring to our meditation and our prayer chair that allows us to stay fully present at the center of our circle, to allow experiences to come in, to acknowledge them, and to let them go, and to come back and be present, and to make a choice to stay present, and to breathe, and to, to be a place of transformation. That is our practice. And then we find, when we let go of our resistances, when we break down these walls in consciousness, we discover something at the center of our being. We discover the seed implanted, that idea in the mind of God that sparked us into being at the moment of our conception. Now, you and I, like a seed, I don't know what kind of seed it is. I don't know what kind of soil is best for it. Sandy, clay, compost. I don't know how much water to give it. Should I water it every day? Maybe every other day. It's going to be a process of trial and error to figure out what exactly this seed needs to grow and fulfill its potential. And that's kind of the way we are. And it's our feelings that inform us of what is working for us, what's our poison, and what's our medicine. And only you know what it is for you. So I'm going to be curious and inquisitive about this seed. I'm going to make friends with it. I'm going to develop a relationship with it. I'm going to pay attention to what's going on. I'm going to offer it love. I'm going to come from the highest of intentions. I'm going to know that there's something in it that knows exactly what it is and what it longs to be. And I'm going to pay attention to what it needs, what environment it needs to be sustained and maintained in discovering that for itself. We would do that for the seed. Would we do it for ourselves? Would we do it for our children? Would we do it for our parents? Would we do it for each other? If your father wasn't everything you thought he should be and wasn't always the way you wanted him to be, if you were feeling like you're the worst horse because you didn't have someone there to make it easy for you to learn your lessons, if you have built up these walls and you cling to a story that is not true and you have kept yourself from revealing your highest potential, 
then allow yourself to engage in practices that will help you to be informed by your feelings and not fearful of them, so that you may discover the knowledge of who you are and how you are. Allow yourself to be curious and interested and passionate about life, about your life. Connect with the joy that is within you. I made it easy. I only put three layers on. There's many layers to us. Many, many layers. We, we get rid of one and we find another. And that's just the way it is. But we don't have to wait to eliminate all those layers before we remember the seed of perfection that is at the center and core of who we are. Our ground of practice is whoever we are as we are in this moment. We don't need to change a thing because we are God in form. And that's kind of a, an aggressive act to try to change God. My study is to come to know me with curiosity. And the more I postpone doing this work, if I think that I have to wait until I'm more put together, more centered, more grounded, well, how long will I wait? Come as you are. Be willing to open to that and be willing to wake up. Do it with gentleness and good-heartedness. You see, it was once said by someone, I think, therefore I am. It was updated in the 60s by a lady by the name of, um, uh, what was her name? It's escaped me just now. Lord, something Lord. She was a, a feminist activist, gay black woman in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s. She said, I feel, therefore I am free. It is acknowledging these feelings, being willing to let them in, being willing to let them go, and allowing ourselves to transform the darkness into light that sets us free. I honor you, fathers. Have a great day.